It was a dark and stormy night. A man's car broke down and he was walking to the nearest phone in the wind and rain. And slowly a car appears out from the mist and veers toward him. It doesn't stop, but it's, it's going so slowly that he decides to open the door and get in. He doesn't have a terribly good feeling about this at all. And as he looks over, he sees that there's nobody driving the car. So soon the car starts heading for the side of the road when a hand reaches in the window and steers the car back onto the road. It's the hand of a ghost, he thinks, reaching in and steering the car. Then the hand pulls its way out of the window and the car continues to slowly move down the street. This actually happens a few times. And the guy kind of freaking out. The next time that the car starts to go off the road and the hand comes in the window, he jumps out of the car and runs as fast as he can down the street. And the nearest business just happened to be a pub. So he goes in and he starts telling the other patrons in the pub about his experience, about the ghost driving the car. And pretty soon, a couple of other guys who are dripping wet walk into the pub, look at him and say, hey, there's that guy that just jumped in our car while we were pushing it in the rain. It's an appropriate Halloween joke and an appropriate introduction to our theme this morning. But here's another equally entertaining way to get things going this morning. Recognize it? Who you gonna call? Ghostbusters! So, movie reminder. This story, the original, I don't know if the new Ghostbusters was the same. Have you seen the new one? Same plot? No? Okay, so the the good one, the good version, there are three doctors of parapsychology, um, and they had their research grant taken away and were evicted from their offices at Columbia University. So they go into private practice, selling their expertise in an effort to rid New York City of its ghosts. They were professional ghostbusters. So this morning, as we conclude our series focused on the master teacher's promise, I have come so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so we're going to look at busting our ghosts. What are your ghosts? We go over these all the time. It's your doubt, your disbelief, your dread, your worry, your lack, your belief in lack and limitation. Boy, those are hard ones. But those are all things that keep you from expressing an abundant life. And really, all those things boil down to one. Fear, right? So how do you bust them up and get them out of your life? In the Isaiah effect, Greg Braden talks about an ancient technology that was revealed by the Essens throughout the Dead Sea Scrolls. According to Braden, the Essens left their priceless wisdom and inner technology to future generations in these parchments. And this inner, um, inner technology is a fifth kind of prayer. Something novel that the world has never seen, right? 
He said this is a lost language that could most certainly help us face any crisis and transform it. And he says, prayer, which is the union of thought, feeling, and emotion, represents our opportunity to speak the language of change in our world as well as in our bodies. For him, it is this language of change that lets us express our dreams, making them real in our lives. And what is this new form of prayer? It's exactly what we have been doing here at the Santa Anita Church and what other new thought religious science and divine science churches around the world do. If you read the book, and yes, we carry it, it's kind of going to blow your mind. It, it really is. You're going to discover that this spiritual technology he speaks of is spiritual mind treatment, our form of affirmative prayer. That's pretty big. So the use of treatment in our daily lives gives us the privilege of choosing the direction of our thoughts so that we're in harmony with the power greater than we are. And it brings our experience out of the darkness of fear and into love, light of truth. It's a very powerful tool used to change our thought, our belief, and our experiences into a positive, productive way. Ernest Holmes said, treatment is the time, process, and method necessary to changing our thought. Treatment is clearing the thought of negation, of doubt, of fear, and causing it to perceive the ever-presence of God. Treatment changes the thinker. Treatment feeds the mind with God thoughts and God awareness. Treatment is not to make something happen, but to prepare an avenue in use through which it can take place. You are creating a channel with your treatment. Or as defined in practical application of the science of mind by Holmes and Willis Kinnear on page 88, They say, effective prayer, based upon a faith that is logical and scientific, is an attitude of mind which is so convinced of its own idea, which so completely accepts it, that any contradiction is unthinkable and impossible. So, quick review, the five steps of a spiritual mind treatment. There's one, recognition, God is. If you look at the insert with your circles... You'll see him. So you've got recognition. God is. Unification. I am. Realization or declaration. I accept. I affirm. Acceptance and gratitude. I give thanks. And release. So let it be and so it is. Now you have a handy dandy little visual aid with like little suggestions. I don't know. I found it online. I thought it was cool. I printed it out. So, there you have it. You now have the key. The key to the universe is right there in your hands. You're welcome. But what happens when you're too close to the problem and you're struggling to get it out of your head? Religious science has its own sort of professional ghost buster. And that's the professional practitioner. They're trained through the study of the science of mind... In the art 
science and skill of spiritual mind treatment or affirmative prayer. We're a new thought church, and although many new thought churches follow the same practitioner structure, we don't have any professional practitioners here. But what we do have is a whole bunch of people who have been here for decades, who've been studying the science of mind and actively practicing what they're learning every day of their lives, a lot of them since I was a baby. That's big. And here is where my thoughts and the rules can agree to disagree a little bit. A practitioner is, by definition, a person who practices a specific discipline or disciplines, correct? A practitioner of medicine is a doctor, right? So the people who have been practicing our teacher, our teachings and applying them in their lives to reach great successes are effectively practitioners, right? So, this is how I see it. These, these are committed beings. They're dedicated to their own consciousness work and deep spiritual understanding. And many of them are also um, dedicated to the cause of helping others. Do they have a license? And can they be paid professional practitioners in a legal sense? Nope. That is frowned upon. And it doesn't make them any less of a ghostbuster or professional practitioner. As a matter of fact, if we're following the movie plot, didn't the busters lose all their funding? So, like, if they're not getting paid, doesn't that make our folks a little cooler? I'm just saying. This is just what my brain does when I'm writing this stuff. We know... That with God, all things are possible. Therefore, whatever our problem, there's always an answer. When the problem defies our imagination, when we can't see what went wrong, and when we're willing to be healed of that within us, which brought the situation about, a practitioner can help. A practitioner. Turn to one another. When you have these needs, a practitioner uses their own mind to get clear about you and your desires so that the one mind in which we all live and move and have our being will work positively in your life. A practitioner is one who holds the truth about you in their own mind, refusing to believe in the power of the problem over the solution, holding you in high regard as a spiritually free individual rather than one chained down in sickness and misery. One who knows the truth about you when you are unable to know it for yourself. Holmes wrote, It is the practitioner's business to uncover God in man. God is not sick. God is not poor. God is not unhappy. God is never afraid. God is never confused. God is never out of place. The premise upon which all mental work is based is perfect God, perfect man, perfect being. There is a spiritual man who is never sick, who is never poor, unhappy, never confused, nor afraid, who is never caught by negative thought. Browning called this the spark which a person may desecrate but never quite lose. 
So think of a pipe wrench. Okay, we know how it works, we know what it is, and we may have used it a few times. However, sometimes we still need to call in a plumber to handle the job, right? This would be true for a multitude of circumstances that we have to turn to someone else for a job that's beyond our ability, right? We go to those who have the experience in a particular field. So there are times when doing a treatment for ourselves, we don't feel like it's working. More than likely, we're not using the tools correctly. In cases like this, we get in touch with a practitioner we can trust. I know a couple of our uh, People here have morning calls. They do a morning prayer call every single morning. And I hear little snippets of them as they go. Um, The thing is, finding a practitioner we can trust, they'll have greater success in using the tool of treatment because they have the experience to keep that clarity of consciousness that's needed to fulfill that treatment. They're not as attached to your problems as you are. They're able to see the effect to the cause and to call a new causation forward. That was kind of a mouthful, but it it really says something. They are able to see above the effect to the cause and to call a new causation forward. Do you need to be present for a practitioner's treatment to work? No. Treatments are just as effective if the practitioner is in your presence on the telephone, or on the other side of the world. There is only one mind, God's mind, and that mind is everywhere present. This is the universal subjectivity or creative medium to which Dr. Holmes refers and within which our spiritual mind treatment does its work. And how can you assist in the manifestation of your good? Have faith in the healing power of the one mind. That's it. Remember the words of Jesus, the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the work. Release your problem to God. If the problem comes up in your mind later, dismiss it with a simple affirmation, such as, through prayer all things are possible. God is resolving this situation now. You can use the practice of uh, Vetura... Papke, Ernest Holmes practitioner, and literally wash your hands of it. When you've done a treatment or had a practitioner pray for you, and you think or worry about that problem, if it pops right back up, you physically find a sink and wash your hands and say, I've turned this problem, concern, issue, whatever it is, over to spirit, and so I have washed my hands of it. And if you can't find a sink, just go through the motions. Release it. Actively release it as much as you need to. And now, the biggest question of them all. How can I charge up the power of my prayer? Remember those um, high-tech backpack thingies that the Ghostbusters wore in the movie? Peter Vinkman talked about it this morning. They called it a proton pack. And it was this fictional energy-based capturing device used to suck ghosts in and remove them from wherever they were haunting. It was supposed to consist of a handheld wand called a neutrona wand or a particle thrower connected to a backpack-sized particle accelerator, which, if you know anything about those, they, they don't fit in a backpack. Well, 
Think of this next bit as your very own proton pack. Because as I was fleshing out the details for today's message, I kept replaying little snippets of a conversation I had with one of our members in the bookstore last week. We were talking about the practices commonly believed to lead to the unfoldment or progression of enlightenment. And as they were outlining those concepts, I noticed one big thing that was missing. And I, I had never noticed it being absent until this conversation. It was the enjoyment. There is nowhere in all of those greater works that stress enjoyment as a big part of the journey to enlightenment. Because the fact is, no matter how profound and transformative any other practice may be, individually or collectively, they probably won't get you very far unless you are enjoying this human experience. So often in advanced spirituality groups and circles, I've heard stories about how once people have let go of their attachment to physical things and they've accepted that everything is temporary, people take on a kind of nihilistic worldview. They find themselves utterly and completely depressed because they've completely lost their sense of purpose. What's the point? Well, what do you think would happen if, knowing that material things mean nothing in the grand scheme of things and that every circumstance of life, every single one is temporary, what if we made it our purpose to experience all of it fully while it's here? What would happen if instead of dwelling in the past to plan for future obstacles or looking forward with a sense of hesitation or foreboding, what if we made this our personal mantra permanently? What's happened so far has been full of adventure and experiences. I'm excited to find out what happens next. You may not be able to tell this by looking at me, and I know it may defy any opinion that you hold about me, but I am not a very serious, solemn person. No, really, I'm not. I know you wouldn't believe it. But there is no greater truth than that about me. I am absolutely goofy. I am silly and I play. I play a lot. Ask anybody who knows me. I see Jean giggling in the back there because she knows. See, I make the active conscious choice to look forward with a sense of enthusiastic excitement and wonder at the thought of what is going to happen in my life next. When I look back on my life and all the great many wildly varying experiences I've had, I'm kind of gobsmacked. I mean, I could have gone on a while, but it was big. And I mean, the saga, y'all, there's been some stuff. Has it all been good? Nope. In fact, a whole bunch of experiences have been really, really, really cruddy. But you need to have conflict and dark times in order to most fully experience victory and illumination, right? I mean, without all the different emotions we feel throughout our lives, things would be pretty boring. Like that old commercial, do you remember... Same place, same place, same thing, same thing. Yeah, dull. No, I, I much prefer to look at each day as though it's 
yet in another amazing cosmic ride in the amusement park of life. And yes, yes it does include the flu, a week of forced rest, a lovely case of bronchitis. And I know at least a few of you are thinking, seriously, Gina? How are you going to find the good and enjoyment in that exactly? Well, I will tell you. Thank you very much. Getting caught by the flu helped me remember during this pandemic-induced age of incredible fear that the big cootie isn't the only cootie with those exact same symptoms that can knock you down in a big way. Not getting any profound takeaway from that, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's not just that there's other things that can make you feel just as bad. Where's the good in that? Where's the big revelation? What does it mean? For me, it means that I am no longer hyper-fixated on defining every sneeze and sniffle and cough my body makes. I'm not living in fear of the what if I've got it and continually testing myself when my system feels a little bit off. My fear is significantly diminished through this experience. And that is a very good thing. I have so much more free time to be silly now that I've eliminated such a huge portion of the worrying I've been doing. And the thing is, when I take a step back and I look at my life and the adventures I've had, I realize what an exciting story this human experience has written for me so far. And it makes me excited about whatever's coming next. You see how that works? So now, we're choosing to seek enjoyment in all of life's circumstances. We, we now see everything in a more vibrantly colorful way, right? Yes. The good that we're observing all around us in countless ways helps us harness the force of love, the power to everything good in life. Our good feelings tell tell us that this is the way to what we want, right? You feel good, you head toward the good. Our good feelings tells us that when we feel good, life will be good, but we have to give good feelings first. If someone has been living their life saying to themselves, I'll be happy when I have a better house. I'll be happy when I get a job or a promotion. I'll be happy when we have more money. I'll be happy when we can travel. I'll be happy when, insert caveat here, they will never have those things because their thoughts are defying the way love works. As Rhonda Byrne writes in her third book, The Power of the Wildly Successful The Secret Series, you have to be happy first and give happiness to receive happy things. It can't happen any other way because whatever you want to receive in life, you must give first. You are in command of your feelings. You are in command of your love. And the force of love will go back to you whatever you give out. So there's your power, folks. There is your power. Live your life giving love, giving happiness, giving joy, giving compassion, giving all of the good stuff out into the world and play Enjoy every moment of the journey. 
and it's all yours. Everything you want, it's yours by doing those simple things. And when you become a practitioner of this loving, playful, excited way of being, when your prayer, your treatment is centered in this place of joyful, love-filled gratitude, there's no greater force for change. In The Science of Mind on page 163, Ernest Holmes said, Mental or spiritual treatment should bring into actual manifestation the health and happiness which are our normal and divine heritage. Such healing includes the emancipation of the mind from every form of bondage through a new concept of God which causes the heart to beat with joy and gladness. This healing power is the consciousness of the unity of all life and the spiritual nature of all beings. The healing process, insofar as it may be termed a process, is in becoming conscious of this eternal truth. Sounds like he said in a much more concise fashion what I just said, like in the preceding two pages. Are you steeped in the universal principles of spiritual truth? love and law? And can you blast a stream of harnessed energy at whatever you're afraid of with power and authority? Yes, you can. If not, strap on your personal proton pack and zap some of that playful joy and gladness home speaks of into your life and prayers. And if your proton pack still isn't doing all you wish, Call on a professional ghostbuster, also known as a practitioner, of these powerful, powerful beliefs we teach here to give you some strong spiritual support. Thank you.